0: So here we go. We're going to Proverbs 30, Um, so I'll just give everyone a minute to open their Bibles if they like. The sayings of Agor, son of Jekai, an inspired utterance. This man's utterance to Ithiel. I am weary God, but I can prevail. Surely I am only a brute, not a man. I do not have human understanding. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I attained to the knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Whose hands have gathered up the wind? Who has wrapped up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is the name of his son? Surely you know. Every word of God is flawless, He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? or I may become poor and still, and so dishonour the name of my God.
1: All right, I think I'm on. Good to be with you, friends. Uh, my name is Scott. I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Paraca. Uh, what did you say, Malcolm? Uh, the the uh, Chilean rodeo is the national sport, so we're going to get some pictures of you guys participating <laughs> at some point down the line. Yeah, excellent, fantastic. Uh, I, was, um, I got here this morning, and at about half past nine, I realised I, I've left my sermon notes behind, so thankfully my wife, Pip, went back and got them for me. Thanks, Pip. Um, between school and university, I took a gap year and, and worked for a while. I was working cooking fish and chips for most of the day, and there were two other guys in the same shop doing the same things. Their names were Pete and Daniel, but... We called Daniel Barlow. So Pete and Barlow, we became good friends that year. They were both really fun guys to be around. Uh, And uh, throughout the year, I was was, was a young Christian. I thought, I'd really love to get to have a conversation with these guys about Jesus. So I'm, I'm constantly looking for opportunities. I wasn't really successful though. But then something was coming to town. It was a strongman show full of guys who do this crazy strongman kind of stuff. And they were also Christians. And if you went to their shows, they were going to talk about Jesus and what Jesus meant for them. I was stoked. I thought, yes, fine. this is going to be the thing that I've needed all year. We're going to go. Pete and Barlow were keen to come along. So I went to get us tickets. Tickets were sold out. Opportunity gone. Or so I thought. The next day I rocked up at work. And our boss had brought us three tickets. So I was stoked. Again, it's on. This is going to be like a really fun thing to go to. And surely afterwards, surely we're going to be able to have some kind of conversation about Jesus, right? So it's show night and we rock up and the place is packed. There's a really kind of good atmosphere going on and these kind of huge buffed up dudes come out and the crowd is all g up. It's pretty exciting. They start doing their strongman things like they take in the, the the those rods of iron and just kind of bend it with their hands or they grab a telephone book and they kind of rip it apart with their bare hands. It's excellent. Um, and then as they're doing this, they're talking about what Jesus means for them as well. And I'm thinking all the time, how good is this? How good is this? I'm so glad we're here. And then it all fell apart. There were, I don't know, I'm bad at guesstimating numbers, but I think four or five hundred people there that night. We'd all paid for our tickets, or at least, in our case, our boss had paid for our tickets. Um, But they decided that they hadn't got enough money out of us, so they passed the plate around um, as they kept doing things. And apparently we didn't give enough because the plate came around a second time with another emotional plea to give money. And all the time I'm thinking to myself, how does this help my friends here? I mean, it feels like we've just changed the channel. One moment we're strongman stuff and Jesus, and the next moment we're just all about money. By the time we left, I wished we'd never gone at all. Because what were my buddies left thinking? That Christianity is just a grab for money. And too often... That's the way that Christianity has appeared to people. I recently read an article in the newspaper uh, about JobKeeper payments. And it appears that some churches have applied for JobKeeper, have got JobKeeper to keep their staff on. And yet at the same time, those, those churches have made huge profits, multi-million dollar profits in the last financial year. And the world watches on as that happens. And it can be a turn-off to Christianity because it seems like it's just a grab for money. What's our reaction to that as a church, to that kind of thing? What's our reaction? Well, we could have all sorts of reactions, right? Uh, but there's, there's, there's sorts of things that we do do on the basis of this. Like we have checks and balances in place to make sure that no one is misusing church money. What kind of reactions do we have? I reckon a lot of us... We, 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 we hear this negative stuff out there about Christians and money and we think, we don't want to be like that. We don't even want to be mistaken for being like that. So let's just not talk about money. Or if we do talk about money, let's, let's try and limit it to be as little as possible because we don't come, want to come across like we're, we're one of those guys. Have you ever felt like that? I know I have. But you know, that's actually a shame because the Bible has heaps, to, heaps of good stuff to say about money. Lots of good stuff to say about using it well, using it wisely. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to, we're going to jump into thinking about money today. As a church, we've been going through this book in the Bible called Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs, Proverbs is all about wisdom. is how to live wisely in God's world. And today we're going to focus on what Proverbs has to say about wealth, about our money, the almighty dollar. And as we do, I hope you're going to see the wisdom in what God tells us. So here we go. Then the first thing you see in Proverbs is that money is not bad. If you've been a Christian for a while, you might find this surprising because after all, isn't money the root of all evil? Well, actually, that's not quite it. The verse from 1 Timothy 6, it says, it's the, the love of money that's a root of all kinds of evil. Money in itself is not bad. That's what Proverbs is telling us. Now, Proverbs reminds us there are bad ways to get money. So Proverbs 17:23, The wicked accept the bribes in secret to pervert the course of justice. Uh, bribery is not a good way to earn money. Or Proverbs 21, verse 6, A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapour and a deadly snare. You get the point, is it? There are bad ways to get money, but money in itself is not bad. Now, Proverbs will also say that money has pitfalls. Like, for example, money is, is, is temporary. It just doesn't last. Uh, this is from Proverbs 23. Don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance to riches, and they're gone. For they'll surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Um, my parents were once asked to look after a friend's pet. It was a pet bird. Uh, kept in a cage most of the time, so they take this pet bird, bring it home. And one day my dad thinks it'd be nice for it to let out and have a, let it get out and have a fly, right? You know where this is going. Uh, he let it out, it flew around, but unfortunately the garage door was up and out flew the bird, never to be seen again. And his Proverbs just saying, that's like money. Sometimes it's just here one minute and it flies off, it's gone the next. Uh, when I was in high school, I took legal studies in my final years of study, uh, it was a very fun class, partly because it was smaller, but mostly because of the teacher that had the class. Uh, our teacher in, in legal studies was the deputy principal. and Look, he was a good teacher, so he learned our stuff, but he kind of used the class to just bounce around ideas that he'd been thinking about, and he'd tell us some stories. And Sometimes it felt like he was just there to get things off his chest, but it made the fast fun because you, you walked in, you, you never knew what you were going to get each time. Anyhow, this one day he rolls in, I don't know how we got off topic, but we got off topic, and he ends up telling us about his neighbour. Now this neighbour was nearing retirement age, and he and his wife had made all sorts of plans, how to secure their finances and make their money work for them, but the problem was, pretty quickly, his investments went wrong especially he'd bought into AMP shares. I don't know if you remember much about AMP shares, but they were were good for a little bit and then they lost a whole lot of their value. Very quickly, AMP stock lost a lot of money. And now my teacher's neighbour had virtually no retirement funds. That shows you the point, doesn't it? Money is temporary. And you say, well, if he just made better investments, then that wouldn't have flown off. But that's the point, isn't it? You can't control the investments once you've done it. You never know if it's going to go bad. Money is temporary. It might promise us a lot, but it can never give the security that we're hoping it will. So money has its pitfalls. And and there's bad ways to get money, but money in itself is not bad. And here's the reason why. This is, this is what Proverbs tells us. Money isn't bad because you can do good for others with it. I mean, sure, money will help you look after yourself as well. Proverbs tells us that too. But the bigger point that Proverbs wants to make to us is this. Money isn't bad because you can use it to do good for other people. That's the real key thing about money in Proverbs. So check out Proverbs 14.31. Whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker. But whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Did you catch that there? If you use your money for the good of others, for the good of the needy, it's a way of honoring your God, your maker. Or again, Proverbs 19, verse 17. Whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they've done. If you use your money to help the poor, God sees. God will reward. That's the constant throughout Proverbs. Money isn't a bad thing. It has pitfalls. But here's the wise thing to do then. Use your money... To do good for others. The wise thing to do is to use your money for the good of others. This is a countercultural view of money. We tend to ask things like we play a game, like pretend you won the lotto and now you've got $10 million in the bank. What are you going to do with it? We talk about things like the, the, the dream house we'd get, the nice fast car, the luxury holiday, these kind of things, right? If we're the kind of person who's big about planning the future, we might start to think, well, what investments can I make? How can I make my money work for me? Perhaps I can have an early retirement. Perhaps I can do some volunteering. Perhaps I can change my career completely, and now I can do the thing that I've always wanted to do, but I never could do because I couldn't afford it. I don't have to worry about money. I can do what I want now. Proverbs poses a different kind of question to us. Proverbs says, pretend you won the lottery. Imagine that for a moment and you had $10 million in the bank. Proverbs would ask us, what good are you going to do with that? How are you going to use that $10 million for the good of others? And actually, Proverbs doesn't ask us that question. Proverbs doesn't ask the what if. Proverbs says to us, what have you got? $10 million? No, probably not. One million, less than that, more than that. Who cares? It doesn't matter. Whatever you've got, whether it's little, whether it's a lot, whatever you've got, how will you use what you have for good? How will you use what you've got for the good of others? The Proverbs is saying to us, money isn't bad because you can use it to do good in the world. But Proverbs also says to us something that we need to hear, and it's this. Proverbs says, money is not ultimate. Money is not ultimate. That is, there are things we need to be concerned about in life more than money. How you live is more important than what you're worth. How you live is more important than the size of your bank account. This is all three Proverbs. Let me give you a couple of examples. Proverbs 16, verse 8. Better a little with righteousness than much gain with injustice. Being fair and decent is better than being rich. Or Proverbs 28, verse 6. Better the poor whose walk is blameless than the rich whose ways are perverse. So you get there how you live, how you conduct yourself. That is more important than having lots of money. And, And why is that? Because there's a day of judgment coming. Chapter 11, verse 4 of Proverbs. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When Jesus returns, when it's the day of judgment, it won't matter how rich or poor you were. No matter how much money you have or didn't have, you cannot bribe your way into God's favor. Did you hear about the Nigerian guy who brought his dad a new car? It was a brand new BMW X5. Apparently these are good cars. They're worth about $100,000 in Australian money. So it's expensive. A very generous gesture from a son to his father. And I guess if there's any sons in here thinking about their dads for Father's Day next week, I'm sure your dad wouldn't mind. Apart from its expense there 's nothing terribly out of the ordinary of this is it i mean it 's very, it's very expensive but sons buy sons buy their, their dad 's gifts, and this son bought his dad a very expensive gift, nothing really exceptional at all until you know that when the son bought the car, the father was dead, and the car was purchased to be his dad 's coffin. So this brand new car was driven from the lot to the funeral home, from the funeral home to the grave, and there it stays six feet under. Do you know, this is not uh, an unusual thing for people to be buried in their cars. There's an American beer distributor who was buried in his Corvette, a South African politician buried in his Mercedes, a Chinese person buried in his uh, little hatchback. Um, it's all for nothing though. You laugh because it seems kind of ridiculous. It's all for nothing because you cannot take things from this life into the next. Your bank balance, your your possessions mean nothing on the day of judgment. And so you can see, can't you? Money cannot be ultimate. There are things that are of far greater consequence to you than your bank balance. You know, Jesus weighs in on the issue too. He, He talks about money. In one part of the Bible, Jesus, he does like a cost-benefit analysis. You know what a cost-benefit analysis is? On, you kind of put a line down the middle of the page. And you're not sure what decision to make. You put a line down the middle of a page and you, uh, you, you kind of put on one side, you put the things that are, are, are negative and the costs involved. On the other side, you put things that are positive, the benefits. So like, for example, you're thinking you know at home and you're not really sure what to do. Should I watch The Bachelor tonight? And so on one side, you put down the negative things, or the costs to you. It's trashy. It's going to dull my brain cells. They voted out my favorite last week. Uh, on the other side, you put down all the positive benefits that you get from it, like, um, well, thank you, thank you. Maybe I should have thought of a better illustration, right? But... Um, You see the costs and the benefits and that helps you weigh up and make a decision to figure out what you should do. Well, Jesus does a cost-benefit analysis as well. And for him, it's about what you do with your life. The decision, what, what are you going to do with your life? Check it out. This is from one of the biographies written of Jesus' life. It's in the Bible. It says this. Then he, that is Jesus, and Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said... Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? For what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You see here, Jesus is saying, there's more to life than what you can see and feel and touch. Jesus is saying there's a spiritual part to each of us. Jesus is saying there's a God and and, and there's an afterlife. Don't neglect that, will you? Jesus is telling us you can have as much as you want. Millions or billions of dollars. All the things that money can buy. You could have enough, in fact, to buy and build and buy your own rocket ship and fly into space. You could own the whole world. But what good is that? Jesus asks. What good is it to have all of that if you end up forfeiting your soul? Money isn't bad, but there are some matters that are of far greater importance. Don't forfeit your soul just to get rich and die. So then where do we go? What does this all mean for us? What's the place of money in the life of someone who follows Jesus? Three things I want to say here. First, don't sanctify poverty. And that might sound strange to you. Don't sanctify poverty. That might sound strange, but at times Christians have done this in history. You see it in some of those uh, ideas about Christian monks who, who decide to go without in life. They, they make a vow of poverty. They live very simply and the idea is that somehow without all of these constraints on you that it's supposed to draw you closer to God. The message of Proverbs says again and again poverty is not a good thing. There is a danger in money and that is the more more, more money you have the easier it is to fall in love with it but that doesn't mean that poverty is somehow a blessed kind of existence. It's not. Just ask... Anyone who's in that position. And you, you all heard Darren read that part of the Bible earlier on. The guy wrote and said, Lord, keep me from poverty. He realised it's not a blessed existence. Don't sanctify poverty. And secondly then, don't sanctify wealth. This is probably more of the issue for us in, in, in the rich kind of west Western world. And for most of us, we, we know intellectually, we know it's not true, but... Most of us, uh, on an emotional level, are drawn to the idea that a a successful life or a good and fulfilling life is one where there's plenty of money. And again, it's not that money is bad, but it, it can be dangerous. Like I just said, the more you have, the easier it is to fall in love with money, and that's just not a good place to be. So check your heart. Wealth does not make for a good life, so don't sanctify it. So thirdly then, use your money for good. That's the real message of Proverbs to us, is use your money for good. There are um, two types of good we've seen today. One is good in the here and now, things like caring for the poor, looking out for those who are in need, this kind of thing. The other is we've also seen a, a kingdom good, an eternal good, using our money to help people meet Jesus so they would know him, so they won't lose their lives and forfeit their souls on the day of judgment. Most of us here today might have a tendency to treat one or other of these as more important than the other. I really like doing good now, so that's where I invest my money. I really like thinking about kingdom goods, so I invest my money. But the Bible tells us both of those things are actually good and we should be involved in doing both. So the question to leave hand then is how are you going to use your money, no matter how much or how little you've got, but how are you going to use your money for the good of others? For a lot this week, I weighed up whether I should put this next bit in or not, but I, 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 I've, I've, I'm, I'm going to do it. I think it's good. I want to tell you, um, give you a suggestion for giving. The, the problem, as I say that, is as soon as I say, here's a suggestion for giving, it can sound like he's a law or he's an expectation to follow. Um, that's not what I'm wanting to do. I wanted to give you a suggestion for giving because I think hearing a worked example can be helpful for us. Um, So just hear me loud and clear. This is not my expectation for you. This is not a law. and This is a suggestion. I heard it from someone. They they told me about how they did their giving. He said, I start off with thinking 10% of my income. Not that he's under a law. In the Old Testament, uh, God's people in the Old Testament were under a law to give 10%. In the New Testament, we're not under a law. We're, We're told to be cheerful givers. Um, but this person they thought that 's a good number to start with, so i 've got ten percent on my money. i 'm going to give what am I going to do with that? This person said, "Well, I think I want to give five percent to my church. I want to be a good member of church uh, I think it 's a kingdom good because in my church people hear about Jesus and I think it actually does a good in the here and now as well because it builds having a church it builds a community that serves the wider area so 5% of church. And he thinks, well, I've got 5%. What am I going to do with the other 5%? Well, I want to do some kingdom good with it. So he said, I, I think about things like CMS missionaries, guys like the Purdy's here. Like, for example, um, they're going to Chile to teach and train pastors. They'll point people to Jesus. Me, I sit here and I stand here and I think, oh, I can have no impact in Chile, in South America at all. Can I Really? But actually I can, because I I, I partner with uh, what the Purdy's are doing, I I give them, and then I not just have a a here and now impact on Chile, I can have an eternal impact on many Chileans through them. So I, I give to people like the Purdy's, fantastic. That's why we as a church will partner with Enya, down at Mawson Lakes Uni. How can I help uni students who are really making all sorts of decisions at this time of life that are going to set them up for the way they live the rest of their lives, how can I help them consider Jesus? Well, I can't. For most of us, we think we sit in an office job all day and, or we've got things to do during our days. We can't do it. So we, we partner with Enya. We give her money so that we set her aside so she can go and do that on our behalf. It's fantastic. So this person was saying, I, I think 10%, 5% goes to church, 5% goes to other things, and some of that needs to be kingdom good, and some of that needs to be good in the here and now. Things like compassion, who we partner with as church here, and where we sponsor a child, we know their family's going to get food and medical care and education and break that cycle of poverty, and the great thing about compassion is there's a kingdom good in that too. But there are heaps of organisations that we could do this through, Anglicare, the Smith Family, Starlight Children's Foundation, the Royal Flying Doctor Service, the list goes on and on and on. You know, we hear things about stuff like what's happening in Afghanistan at the moment, a horrible uh, human crisis, and it's, it's easy for me to think I'm powerless in this, but actually I'm not, because God has given me money, I can use that for good. And there are, again, tons and tons of organisations doing great stuff right now in Afghanistan, the, the Tear Group, the Barnabas Fund, the Red Cross, World Vision, Anglican Relief and, Disaster and Development Fund, again and again and again, to heaps of organisations there that can help us do good in the here and now. That's, that's one person's idea for their giving. And I want to, let, I want to stress this again. This, this is just one person's idea. This is not a law. This is not an expectation I'm laying down for us in church. Some of us will sit here and think, "Oh, 10 percent, there's no way I can give 10 percent of my wage and still have a, and still us live properly." Others will think, 10 percent, that's kind of under for me. I, need, I can give way more than that." Some of us will sit here and think, oh, "I kind of like that breakup. Maybe I should do something like that." Others will sit here and think, oh, I'll do it way differently than that." Fine. Wonderful. That's not the issue. The pointing me and showing you this is not that we all go and do exactly this, but here's a worked example, an idea that shows us how we can use money for good in the here and now, and also in good for the kingdom, having an eternal good. The real question for you today is how about you? God has given you some money. It might be a little, it might be a lot. I don't know. What are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? How will you use your money for good, and especially for the good of others? That's wise living in God's world. Let me pray for us. Our Father God in heaven, so often we hear what you say and it's very countercultural. So, Father, please work in our hearts to see the wisdom and good of what you tell us. And please work in our hearts so that we might be those who, having heard what you say, do what you tell us. Please help us be generous and look to do good for others with the money that you've given us. We pray for your help in this in the name of Jesus. Amen.